you turn around and shake hands and fellowship. Welcome our visitors. How many of you are visiting with us today? Would you just slip your hand up there for just a moment? How many visitors we have with us today? Good to have you with us. Just hold your hand up there for a moment, and the ushers have a, a little packet we want to give to you today, and there's a gift in there for you, for you, and also there's a guest card, and we would appreciate if you'd take just a moment to fill that out and drop an offering plate in just a few moments. 
Uh, we want to get to know you, and we want you to get to know us, and we get you some information about the church, but we are certainly thrilled about all of you that are visiting with us. I want you to be praying now at the end of the service, we're going to receive a special offering for Brother David Burkhart. We announced it last Sunday night. And Brother David, of course, uh, how many of you saw him on the news the other night? What a great story that was, and what a wonderful testimony, and just a marvelous thing that God has done in his life and the opportunities that God has given him through this. He is a miracle. And, of course, it was a joy to have David and Linda with us for a number of years. And, of course, he pastors in Dayton, Tennessee. But uh, we want to receive a special offering for him today to help on the medical expense that he incurred uh, during his sickness. So you pray about that at the end of the service. Let's pray. Father, bless the offering now. Continue to move in this service. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Lord, for the strength you give to simply carry on. Through life's tolls and tests in the worst and best, I'm not ever left alone. You were always right beside me. You hear me when I pray. Since I first began, you've been my dearest friend. I give you all the His loving presence makes me strong Each and every moment Of each and every day I've got to sing and shout Though I let the rocks cry out I give you all the praise We're singing
What he'll do. 
Praise the Lord. Let's open our Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would please. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. While you're finding your place, let me just remind all the Sunday school teachers that I need to meet you this afternoon or tonight. Uh, about 6.05, we'll meet back in the Couples for Christ classroom and uh, share with you the plans over the next couple, next couple of months. Two weeks from today, we begin our spring revival. It's the first of three Sundays that we're putting emphasis on trying to get our friends and our family and acquaintances in the church. Now, I want you to be working over the next two weeks like you've never worked before, inviting everybody that you can, getting them in Sunday school, getting them in church on Revival Sunday. And many of you, I know, are doing that, but I want you to put forth a special effort. Every Sunday school class we're going to set goals for, and for three Sundays, those three Sundays, of course, Revival Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, which is Easter Sunday, and then Mother's Day, which has been a day for a number of years that we've placed great emphasis on trying to get our family in church on that day. And all three of these days, we have something special planned for them, so you don't want to miss any of them. But I want all of you now to work hard to try to get your friends, your family, everybody you can uh, to bring them to church that day. If you don't have any friends, kidnap somebody. Bring them to church that day. Amen? And I'll go talk to the judge and try to get you out of trouble, but uh, do that. But let's everybody. How many of you going to try to bring somebody that particular Sunday, two weeks from today, Revival Sunday? Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. I want us to think this morning on this thought, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. I want you to look at one verse of scripture from chapter 4. We're going to consider the context of the statement in a moment as well as two other places in the Bible where we are told not to faint. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Notice what Paul said. For which cause, notice, we faint not. He goes on to say, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. He said in the beginning of verse 16, for which cause we faint not. Thank you. you. may be seated. Let's think about the matter of fainting or the matter of losing heart. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, the music has been a blessing to our hearts already. The Word of God has been shared with us through the songs, and we've been reminded of what we have in the Lord Jesus. But today, especially, it is ministered to our hearts and we thank you and we praise you and we worship you for it. Now, Father, we ask you now that you might bless your word. I believe you want to speak to us today. This is the book of God, your word to us. And for that reason, Lord, we want to hear. And so we ask you to give us the, an open heart, a receptive heart, and an obedient heart to all that you say in your word. Now, encourage someone today and we'll thank you and praise you for it is in Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake, we ask these things. Amen. There is an old legend that tells how on one occasion the devil put all of his tools up for sale. Each one of the items was marked with a price. There were many items there. There was hatred, jealousy, lying, pride, and you could go on and on and on. Many, many, many different items. But there was one item that was well-worn and it was priced extremely high. 
A buyer asked the devil, said, what is the name of that tool? And the devil replied, that is discouragement. The buyer said, why have you priced it so high? And the devil replied, because it is more useful to me than any other tool. And it is badly worn because I have used it so much. I think all of us would agree this morning that discouragement is a well-used tool of the devil. If you have been a Christian for any period of time, then it is very possible that somewhere in your Christian life, there has been a time when you have found yourself discouraged. We find some of the great men of God in the Bible in times of discouragement. I like to read biographies, and as I read biographies, I find that many of God's great men, great men of God, there were times when they were discouraged. I remember reading one time about Martin Luther, and most everybody in this room recognizes the name Martin Luther. But Martin Luther went through a period of time that he was so depressed, a prolonged period of time, that he was so depressed that one day... His wife came down the stairs dressed in black. She had a black veil on, a black dress. Everything was black. And Luther looked at her and said, who died? His wife looked at him and said, God died. And Luther said, God hasn't died. And his wife said to them, well, live like it and act like it, amen. But we've all been depressed. There's been times that we found ourselves discouraged. I think about Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4. The Bible speaks about the children of Israel and their journeys. And the Bible said the people was much discouraged because of the way. The people was much discouraged. And they were much discouraged because of the way. I find the word discouraged, the particular word that is used there for discouragement, is a very, very interesting word. I find as I track it through the Bible that many times... The word discourage is translated reap or reapers or reaping, such as in Job 24, 6, where the Bible said they reap everyone in his cornfield. The word reap is the same word discourage in Numbers 21. There are times when we get discouraged because of the way. And on that way, we feel like the circumstances of life, if I may put it this way, are mowing us down. We feel like everything that is happening to us is like a scythe that is cutting our feet out from under us or like a knife that is cutting down our hopes and cutting down our goals and cutting down our ambitions and dreams, reaping or being cut down because of the way. But yet as I look in the Word of God, I find that God on different occasions tells us not to get discouraged. It is easy to get discouraged, but yet the Bible tells us not to get discouraged. For example, in the New Testament, we'll find these words on about four different occasions, the words not to faint or to faint not. Once, and we find in the New Testament, we're told to not faint. And three times, we're told faint not. And the words not to faint or faint not literally mean don't lose heart. When the Bible said faint not, it literally means don't become discouraged, don't lose heart, don't become spiritless, don't give up, don't lose heart. And so whenever you read the Bible and you find the words to not faint or faint not, remember that God is saying to you, don't lose heart. Now, saying that, I want to point out three places in the Bible where we find the words, faint not. 
And I want you to look at three particular matters in which God tells us not to lose heart in. The first one I want you to notice is in our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to draw your attention to this fact. That as a believer, we should not lose heart, number one, when life, when our life seems unbearable. We should not lose heart when our life seems unbearable. Look at our text again, 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 16, Paul said, For which cause we faint not. Or Paul is saying, For this cause I do not lose heart. Now I want to remind you at the very beginning that when Paul made that statement, when Paul said, I do not lose heart, I do not get discouraged, I do not faint, I want to remind you that he was not sitting on a beach in the Bahamas working on his tan. I want you to understand that Paul was neck deep in persecution when he made that statement. In fact, notice with me the chapter, the context, and let me just point out a few things about what was happening in his life. First of all, notice the things that were happening to Paul. The things were happening to him. Notice back in verse 8. In verse 8 of chapter 4, Paul begins by saying, We are troubled on every side. Underscore the word troubled for just a moment. The word trouble that Paul used is descriptive of grapes being pressed or trodden in the wine press. When Paul talked about being troubled, Paul was saying that all the things that were happening in his life, they were pressing down on him. He says that he was troubled on every side. If you'll notice carefully there, it was not so much that things were pressing down on him, but all around him things were pressing in and on him as a believer. It was like he was that like four walls that were contracting, and Paul is right in the middle. The walls are coming in from both sides, from all sides, and Paul is sandwiched or squeezed between them all. It's like he's saying that all the situations, he's right in the middle of numerous situations, and they're all coming in on him. The word was also descriptive of a wrestler trying to crush his adversary. In those days, there was a form of wrestling in which the objective was to pin the opponent to the mat. But the penalty for losing uh, was not that you lost the mat or lost the match. The penalty for losing in that particular form of wrestling was death. Again, the objective was to pin your opponent to the mat, and if you beat him, then the penalty for his loss is that he would die. And Paul said, all these things that are happening in my life, he suggests that it's like the adversary is trying to pin him to the mat and to take him completely and permanently out of competition. Paul said, we are troubled on every side. Furthermore, he states in verse 8 that even the things that were pressing down on him it was like there was no way out of what he was going through. He said in verse 8, we are perplexed. The word perplexed is a word that simply describes a narrow or a tight place in which someone might find themselves in and seemingly there is no way out of it. It would be descriptive of our phrase being at our wit's end. It speaks of being at a loss at knowing what to do, at a loss at knowing where to turn. Paul said, here are the things that are happening in my life. Here are the things that are happening to me. They're coming in from every side. And it doesn't appear as if there's any way to avoid them. There is no door of exit. There is no means of escape. But you notice in verse 9 that he adds not only that he was troubled and perplexed, but in verse 9 he said that he was persecuted. 
The particular word that he used there is a word that describes a hunter after its prey. It's like Paul was saying that here is his adversity. Here is the affliction in his life, and it all follows him and seeks to hunt him down. Verse 9, he talks about being cast down, literally being thrown down, struck down, beaten down to the earth. The picture that comes to my mind is of an angry mob rushing in on someone and without mercy beating that individual down and beating that individual. Paul said, all the things that are going on in my life, I feel like an angry mob has surrounded me and they're all beating on me, beating me down to the ground. He sums it all up in verse 10 by saying, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. He speaks of dying three times here. Verse 11, he talks about delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. In verse 12, he talks about how death worketh in us. What Paul is simply stating is that the threat and the possibility of dying is a daily companion in his life. When he got up in the morning, he had no assurance that he would lie down that night. He was a marked man. He was a wounded man. He was a man destined for martyrdom. And Paul said, I live every day with the threat of death over me. He said, all the things happening to me, they're all pressing in on me, pushing me down, beating me down, seemingly no exit to them all. And I live every day with the possibility of giving my life. In just a few words, you kind of get an idea of Paul's adversity. And you get an idea of Paul's affliction. You understand some of his pressures and you understand some of his problems. And you get a glimpse of his battles and you get a glimpse of his burdens. And you sense something about his fears and his feelings. It could be in this room today, there are some of you that maybe feel like Paul. I don't think any of us has experienced to the degree what Paul experienced. But nonetheless, our problems and our trials and our adversities are no less perplexing. At times in life, we find ourselves being squeezed by the things that are happening. We find ourselves in situations that seem like they are beating us down. And we find ourselves in circumstances and situations in life that are very troubling and very taxing upon us physically and emotionally. And we feel like a scythe is cutting our feet out from under us. We feel like we're being pushed down, pinned to the ground. It's those times in life when life seems unbearable. It's those times when we seem that we cannot go on much longer. But yet, I remind you that it was in those circumstances that Paul made the statement, we faint not. It was in those kind of troubles and in those kinds of problems that Paul said, we do not lose heart. Now you might ask the question, how can that be? How could you not keep from becoming discouraged when those kinds of things are happening in your life? How could Paul make such a statement? How could he say, in light of everything that was happening to him, how could he say, I do not lose heart? I point out a second thing to you. For you not only see in chapter 8 the things that were happening to him, but you see the things that were happening in him. Look at verse 16. Paul said, for which cause we do not lose heart. We faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, Paul had a grip on God's providence in his life. And Paul had a hold on God's purpose in his life. And Paul understood that everything that was happening on the outside was producing something eternal on the inside. That's why he could say in verse 8, we are troubled, 
but we're on every side, but not distressed. He said, we are pressed. We are being squeezed by the things that are happening. But he said, I am not being crushed by that pressure. That's why he can say in verse 8, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Paul said, I'm hemmed in. It's like there is no way out, but I'm not without hope. That's why he can say in verse 8 that I am persecuted but not forsaken. He may have been hunted, but Paul knew he had a hiding place. That's why he can say in verse 9, I may be cast down, but I'm not utterly in despair or destroyed. He's saying what what is happening to me may bend me, but it will not break me. That's why he can say in verse 14, knowing that he which hath raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus. Paul said, I may die today, but if I do, I'm going to move out of this body into a new body, and I have a better life ahead of me. You see, Paul did not lose heart, for he knew that everything he was going through, as he said in verse 15, would benefit others, for all things are for your sake. Paul did not lose heart because he found that in everything he was going through that God's grace was abundant. Verse 15, he talked about the abundant grace. And he did not lose heart because he knew it would lead to thanksgiving in many through the thanksgiving of many in verse 15. And he did not lose heart because he knew that everything that was happening to him would redound to the glory of God. He didn't lose a heart, but most of all, Paul did not lose heart because even though the outward man was perishing, that is, his suffering and deteriorating, breaking down in health and strength because of everything that he was going through, he did not lose heart because he knew there was something going on on the inside of him. What was going on, the, what he was experiencing on the inside made it all seem as if it were but for a moment. What is Paul saying? Paul was saying that what happened to him was working in him something that would bring a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory in verse 17. What Paul was saying is, I don't lose heart because I know what is happening to me is bringing about something in me. What is Paul saying to us today? What is Paul saying to us this morning? Paul is saying to us when problems come and when troubles come, When trials come, when heartaches come, when adversity comes, when afflictions come, don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged because everything that happens in our life will produce something inside of us. You realize this morning that the things that happen in our life often are either appointed, arranged, and even allowed by God. Because there are things that God wants to do in us and for us as a child of God. Would you not agree with me this morning that for the most part, our faith and trust in God was shaped from the hammers of life and the anvils of life? Why do we trust God? Where was our faith developed? Our faith like film was developed in the dark. Would you not agree with me this morning that our love and the passion that we have in our heart today for the Lord Jesus And for the things of God were forged in the smelting fires of life? Was it not in the fires of life that your love for Christ increased? Would you not agree with me this morning that it was in the dark hours of life that it introduced to us the light of God's grace and the light of God's goodness and the light of God's glory? 
You see, what happens to us often has a purpose for something to happen in us. So Paul is saying, don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged when things happen in your life because God takes those things and he uses them in our life for the glory of God. I was reading the other day a story about Theodore Roosevelt and the story is about when Theodore Roosevelt was shot. He was running as a bull moose, bull moose candidate for presidency and he just stepped outside a motel in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And as he stepped out, this man had been stalking him through eight states and waiting for the right moment. And that was the moment. There he stood less than six foot from Theodore Roosevelt, put out a gun, raised his arm, took careful aim, and he fired. The bullet passed, ripped through the heavy overcoat that Roosevelt was wearing at breast pocket level. On the inside in the pocket there, there were two items in Roosevelt's pocket. One was his 50-page typewritten speech that he had folded in half, making a wad of 100 pages and an eyeglass case that had his eyeglasses in it. The bullet ripped through his heavy overcoat, right through his speech, right through the eyeglass case, and went in, went, it broke skin, went inside, stopping just short of his lung. The, the speech there, the long speech, that's why I preach all preach long. Amen right there. And his speech, that paper, and that eyeglass case probably saved his life, diminishing the force of the bullet enough to keep from going into his room, but this uh, in his lung. But what interested me and fascinated me was this. He refused to go to the hospital for treatment until, first of all, that he gave his speech. They said, no, we want you. We've got to get you to the hospital. You've got a bullet in you. He said, no, I'm all right. He knew he was uh, not entered his lung because he's not hemorrhaging. He said, I want to give him a speech. So they carried him to where he was to give his speech that night. He got up, pulled out his speech, unfolded. It was a bullet hole through the top part of the pages and a bullet hole through the bottom part of the pages and pulled it out and looked at the crowd and he said, Now you may not fully understand this, but I have been shot. But it takes more than a bullet to kill a bull moose. And he just erupted the crowd. If I put it this way, this is what Paul was saying. It takes more than problems to stop me. It takes more than heartache to stop me. It takes more than troubles to stop me. He said, it don't, he said, I don't lose heart. I don't get discouraged. I have not got discouraged when these things come because I know that God is doing something in my life through everything that happens. And I say to every one of you this morning, no matter what you're going through, don't lose heart. Don't stop. Don't let your problems stop you from serving God. Don't let your trials cause you to abandon your faith. God takes everything that happens and he uses it in our life. Can I get an amen right there? He said, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart when life, our life, seems unbearable. Look in Luke 18, 1. Let me give you the second one. In Luke chapter 18, 1, the second thing that I see is this. We are told that we should not lose heart when our Lord seems unresponsive. Paul said we should not lose heart when our life seems unbearable. But in Luke 18, 1, we find that we should not lose heart when our Lord seems unresponsive. Luke 18, 1, notice. The Bible said in Luke 18, 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray, and notice, and not to faint. Same word, there's a word again, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Once again, we're told not to lose heart. Not to lose heart, not to get discouraged. And in this case, it has to do with our praying. 
Jesus is saying to us now, when persecution comes, don't lose heart. But now he talks about our prayer life, and he tells us not to lose heart. Look at the story. Jesus gave a parable here of a widow who went to a certain judge with a certain petition. And Jesus used the parable to teach us a couple of very important things about prayer. For one thing, I'll make a brief word, give you a brief word about this. He, taught, he gave the parable to teach us the importance of prayer. Look what he said in Luke 18, 1. That men ought always to pray. You see that? Ought always to pray. You see the word ought? It speaks of that which is necessary. It's not talking about something that is, he's not suggesting something or recommending something. He said men ought always to pray. He's talking about that which is a vital matter of our life. He's talking about that which is necessary, that which is a necessity in our life. I want you to understand something today. Prayer is more than uh, some kind of heavenly STP that you add to your life to make your life run better. Prayer is vital. Prayer is necessary. Prayer is absolutely essential in the life of the believer. I think about the disciple that came to Jesus, and he did not, as we so often hear it quoted, he did not say, Lord, teach us how to pray. But he came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. See, it's important to learn how to pray, but it's more important to pray. And Jesus, and Jesus looked at prayer and not as a supplemental part of our life, but as a fundamental part of our life. We must pray. The importance of prayer. i got to pray if I'm going to live in unbroken fellowship with God. We have to pray if we're going to keep our lives clean. We have to pray if we're going to be spiritually strong. If we're going to receive all that God has for us, we have to pray. Daily, diligent, faithful, fervent prayer. The importance of prayer. But here's what I want you to say, secondly, and that is the importunity of prayer. Jesus not only told us that we ought to pray, but he also told us that when we pray, notice, not to faint. Jesus said men ought always to pray and don't lose heart or if I may read it this way when you pray don't lose heart when you pray don't lose heart in your praying that's what Jesus was saying and he gave us this parable it's a great parable he gave us a parable about a certain woman that came to a certain judge and verse 3 she said avenge me of mine adversary she came to the judge we might say in our day with a petition there was a case that she had something had happened there so she brings it before a judge and notice the first four words of verse 4. The Bible said, and he would not. In other words, just when it came to this judge and said, I've got this case here. The judge listened to the case, and then he wouldn't do anything about the case. He wouldn't do anything about the problem that she brought to him. Now, in those days, there were two kinds of judges. There was what was known as the orthodox judge who upheld the principles of the Mosaic law. But then there were the judges that were appointed by the Romans or by King Herod, and most of them were crooks. Basically, they, the way they settled cases was by whoever paid them the most. If you wanted a case, some situation, a ruling in your favor, then you'd bribe the judge or pay him a certain amount of money, whatever, and he would rule in your favor. You look at the story here, it was a widow. And being a widow, I doubt she had very little money and she had very little to offer the judge. And there was no way she could bribe the judge and no way she could pay the judge. So when she brought her case before him, he simply slammed his gavel down and said, Motion to die. Case dismissed. But notice verse 4 again. Notice the next three words. The first four words said, and he would not. But notice these next three words. For a while. Now this little widow woman this little widow woman, she may not have had anything to offer as a bribe, 
And she may not have had anything in which to purchase a ruling in her favor, but she didn't let that stop her. She kept coming back and back and back and back. And I can imagine in my mind that every day when this judge sat down behind his bench, he picked up his docket to see what was he had to deal with that day. And every day, there was that widow woman's name right there, day after day after day. Look at verse 5. The Bible said, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, there's some fascinating words used here, very enlightening story. You take the word troubleth me. It simply means she just kept on bothering him. She wouldn't let him alone. she come to him the first time. He wouldn't do anything about it. So she came back, and she came back, and she came back, and she came back, and she kept on bothering the judge and kept on bothering the judge. You see, the Bible mentions how she weary me. That word weary there literally means to black the eye or to cause a bruise. I love how I found one, one, one who translated this way, lest she come and strangle me. It's like this judge thought to himself, if I don't do something about this woman, she's going to strangle me. She's going to black my eyes somewhere if I don't do something about it. And so her continual coming, he said, I've got to do something. And what did he do? Because she kept coming and she kept coming and she kept coming. He finally ruled in her favor. Now, here's the lesson Jesus gave in the parable. Is that when we pray and we don't get an answer to our prayer and we bring something before God and it seems that our Lord is unresponsive, that he's not hearing our prayers or not going to answer our prayer. This is what Jesus taught us. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't quit praying. Just keep coming back. Keep bringing your petition to God. Have you ever prayed about something and you didn't get an answer to it? Have you ever prayed about something and it seemed that God was unresponsive to your cries and to your prayers? You ever prayed and you felt like maybe God wasn't going to do anything about what you were praying about? What does Jesus say to us? He's saying, keep praying until we get an answer. Don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged in your prayer life. Now, let me ask you this morning. What are you praying for today? Are you praying for a son? Are you praying for a daughter? Are you praying for a mother? Are you praying for a father? Are you praying for a husband? Maybe you're praying for a wife. Maybe you're praying for a brother or sister. What are you praying for? Are you praying about some need in your life? Are you praying about some problem in your life, some situation in your life? That I want to say to you this morning, the authority of God's Word, don't quit praying. Don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Keep bringing your petition back to God. Like that little widow woman. Keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back until God answers your prayer. Don't get discouraged in your prayer. I know some of you, your burdens are heavy. And I know you, some of your prayer requests for you that gather here every Sunday morning early at top of the Lord's day, teachers and officers praying. Many weeks and weeks and months and months and months. Some of you said, pray for my children, pray for my son, pray for my grandchildren. Can I encourage you this morning not to lose heart? Don't give up in your prayer and keep on praying. Keep praying until God does something. I read a story I thought was, I, I love the story about a little boy that was praying for $100 for weeks and weeks. He prayed for days and days. God, send me $100. He wanted, he saw something, a catalog he wanted. And he days turned into weeks, weeks and weeks he prayed, Lord, send me $100. Lord, send me $100. But nothing happened. 
So he finally, he decided he would write the Lord a letter. And he thought, maybe I'll get a response that way. So he wrote a letter to God, asking God for $100 and simply addressed the front of the letter or the envelope to God. Well, when the postal authorities saw it, they received the letter and saw it was addressed to God. They finally, they said, we'll just send it to the highest place in the land. So they sent the letter to President Clinton, ex-President Clinton. I just thought I might throw that in there, by the way. And when the president got the letter, he was so impressed and so amused with the little boy's passion to get $100 that he instructed his secretary to send the little boy $5. Because he thought $5, he was asking $100, but he thought $5 would be a lot of money to a little fellow like that. So the little fellow got the letter and, and the $5, and he's so excited about getting the $5 that he decided he would send the Lord a thank you letter that read like this, Dear God, thank you for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you sent it through Washington, D.C., and as usual, those knotheads deducted $95. Well, I want to say to you this morning, pray. Don't quit. Keep going. Don't get discouraged. Can I get an amen there? What is Jesus saying to us? Hey, the Bible is telling us that when we find ourselves in problems, don't lose heart. For God takes all of that happening on the outside, and he does something on the inside. And when we pray, don't get discouraged. Keep praying to get an answer. But let me give you a third and a final thing. Here's a promise I love. Look in Galatians 6. We find that we're not to lose heart. We should not lose heart when our life seems unbearable. We should not lose heart when our Lord seems unresponsive. But I want you to get this third one. We should not lose heart when our labor seems unfruitful. Look at verse 9 of Galatians 6. Look at this. This is great. I wouldn't, all I would have to do is read this and just stop, just shout on this. But Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, there's some promises in the Bible. I know you've got favorite promises. i got favorite promises. And there are promises in the Word of God that encourage me day by day by day. But I know of no promise in the Bible that encourages me any more than this and has encouraged me down through the years than Galatians 6, 9. It's a blessed promise, a precious promise given to all of those that are involved in the work of God. Look at it. When I look at Galatians 6, 9, I think one of how a discouraged worker feels. Paul talks about well-doing, two words. The word well speaks of that which is valuable. It speaks of that which is virtuous. But the word doing there is suggestive of something that has been appointed. It's not so much, to me when I read that, it's not so much that Paul is saying that we ought to do well or to be faithful in well-doing but that we do well that which we have been appointed, that which has been assigned to us, that we do good or that we do well, do that which has been given to us very well. You see, the truth is everybody in this room today has been given some place of service by God. Now, you may not be in that place and may not know that place, but every one of us has been given a work by God to do. It's not a believer under the sound of my voice that there is not some appointment that God has for your life. There's some God wants you to serve it for me. It's preaching the Word of God, serving as a pastor. That is my appointment. That is my call. For some, it may be to serve in missions. Another, in evangelism. Another, it may be teaching. Another, it may be working with youth. For another, it may be music. But in other areas of the work of God. But every believer 
There is something that God has for you. It's his appointment, his specific work for you as a believer. And Paul talks about doing well that which you have been appointed to do. But you know, as many of you know, they're in the work of God. It is easy to get discouraged in the work of God. Listen to me. There are times when you feel like that you're not getting anything done. There are times that you feel in your area of service that you're not accomplishing anything. That your life, your work, your labor, that it is ineffective, that it is fruitless, that it's not bearing. You work, but it seems that nothing is happening. You do your best, and you give your best, but yet it still seems that you're getting nowhere. Paul talked about being weary in well-doing. You see the word weary? It's the same word that we saw in Luke 18, 1, faint not. Same word that we saw in 2 Corinthians 4, the faint not. Paul is talking about those who do lose heart in service. Those who do lose heart in doing that which God has called them to do. I'm getting discouraged, losing heart, losing your goal, losing your enthusiasm, just getting discouraged and losing heart. Sunday school teacher looks at his class and it seems that nothing is going on in that class. And everything they try to do to get that class grow, growing and going, nothing seems to happen. But on the other hand, he looks over here, and here is a class that is setting the woods on fire. And he looks over there and he thinks, well, what are they doing that I am not doing? I work as hard as he does. I work as hard as she does. Our class does as much as they do, but we're not getting anything done. But over here, they're setting the woods on fire. Or maybe some other worker looks over here and sees this worker seemingly being blessed of God every way they turn. But here they are and it seems like heaven is barren on their part. And they get discouraged. You've been there. We've all been there when we felt that way. We felt like we were not getting anything done. That we were not achieving anything. That's how the discouraged worker feels. But I want you to look at the promise. I want you to see what the devoted worker finds. Look at the promise again. If you're discouraged this morning and you feel like you're not getting anywhere and you're not getting anything done, I want you to listen to the promise of God. Listen to it. And let us not be weary. Let us not lose heart in doing that which God has given us. Why? For in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Now will you say that with me? Let's read it, Galatians 6, 9 together. Read it. And let us not... Be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, what is God saying to us? He tells us not to lose heart. He's saying that if we'll stay at our task and we'll be faithful to our appointment, somewhere we shall reap. He is telling us that the devoted worker, the dedicated worker, the one who does not lose heart, the one that does not give up, somewhere they shall reap a harvest. Now, listen to me this morning. You may get to feel, maybe feeling this morning like you, God's not doing anything in your life. But here's the question. The question really is today, are you serving God? And the question is, are you doing what God's called you to do? And if you're serving God and doing what God's called you to do, then remember, somewhere, somewhere, you will reap if you don't get discouraged. I love the story. I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. I love the story of Columbus. And sailed in search of a new world. And the days turned into weeks. And the men began to try and persuade Columbus to return. There was so much uncertainty. So many fears about where they were going. 
what was ahead. So much they didn't know. So much they thought could happen. At one point, things became so serious that even threatened him with mutiny. But Columbus said, let's sail three more days. If we don't sight land in three days, then we'll turn, change directions, and we'll return. It was on the morning of the third day that they sighted land that he christened San Salvador. But this is what I like. They said in the logs of, in Columbus logs, those ship logs, there was this entry made day after day and week after week. Day after day, week after week, these words were written. Today we sailed. Still no land in sight, but we sailed on. Day after day, today we sailed. Still no land in sight, but we sailed on. You listen to me this morning. Today you may be sailing and there's no land in sight. But I want to say this morning, keep your sails up and sail on. If tomorrow you don't sight land, sail on. If tomorrow you don't see anything happen, preach on. If you don't see anything happen tomorrow, then teach on. Don't stop witnessing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop serving. Don't stop being faithful to God. For somewhere, somewhere ye shall reap. That's the promise of God. Don't lose heart let's stand our feet please what are three great promises from the word of God don't lose heart don't lose heart when problems come in your life don't let problems stop you don't let it stop you when you pray don't give up praying don't stop praying to get an answer from God and in your service if you're doing what God wants you to do then don't get discouraged for somewhere in due season the word do Speaks of that which is a personal matter. Season is that is a proper matter. Just like seed you sow is going to bring a harvest in its own proper time. There is a personal time and a proper time for reaping. Somewhere down the road, God's going to give you a harvest. Remember that. Don't get discouraged. Now our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're going to sing in just a moment. And this is my invitation to all of you in the building. For you in the building today that do not know for 100% certainty that you are going to heaven when you die, then I want you to listen to me for just a moment. You may be here this morning, you don't know that you're saved. Maybe you've been, you're here and you've never been saved, but I want you to listen to me for just a moment. I want you to understand that people that die without Jesus Christ, that are unsaved, will spend eternity in hell. But I want you to understand this, that Christ died so that nobody has to go to hell, but all men can be saved. Jesus Christ died that you might have eternal life. And when we sing in a moment, I want you to get up out of your seat, whoever you are, wherever you are in this building. I want you to come and walk down here and somebody will meet you and we'll take the Bible and we'll show you how you can go home today knowing that you're saved. Won't you do that? And then I want to say to the rest of you here in this building this morning that maybe some of you are going through hard times in your life. They're pressing, beating you down. Don't lose heart. Because God, as I preached last Sunday morning, there is always a reason for everything that happens in life. And it could be that what is happening in your life is because of what God is doing in you. He's bringing a far, exceeding far, an eternal weight of glory in your life. Something God doing in you. Maybe you've been praying about someone, something. Maybe you prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. Then I want to encourage you this morning not to stop praying for them. Don't lose heart. Don't give up on them. Keep praying like the parable Jesus gave us. Don't lose heart. Pray. 
You may want to walk down here this morning and fall on your face in this old-fashioned altar and renew your commitment to pray for that loved one again. Not giving up, not becoming spiritless and giving up with no hope. Don't stop praying until you get an answer from God, however long it takes. Just keep coming and coming and coming. Maybe you want to come this morning and let God renew your faith in His promises that He'll answer prayer. Maybe you've been a little bit discouraged as a worker and you feel like you're not doing anything or getting anything done. You just you wonder why it is that I'm not bearing fruit in my life. Then I want you just to remember this morning that God somewhere in His own time will give the harvest. He is the one that produces the harvest, not you. You're but His vessel. He'll bring the harvest. You sow the seed, God will give the harvest. And maybe this morning you want to fall on your face and say, Dear God, I want to thank you for your promise that in due season I will reap. I want you to come. I want you to gather around the altar. There may be those today that want to come and unite with our church. You just come, take a seat on the front row. We'll get the information we need from you. But I, want you, I don't want you to leave this morning missing what God wants to say to you through His Word. They're great promises. And don't lose heart. Father, this morning in Jesus' name. Father, maybe there's someone here today going through dark times in their life. Help them today. From realizing what you are doing in their life, that they don't have to lose heart. It may be difficult, but yet they don't have to be discouraged. They can rejoice at what you are doing in them and for them through what they're going through. Today, encourage someone in their prayer life that not to give up and not to quit praying or not to lose heart and praying for that loved one and for that need in their life. May they come today and bring their needs to the Lord and once again begin to seek God in prayer. Maybe that discouraged worker today just needs, Lord, you to remind them that if they'll just do what you've called them to do, that somewhere you'll bless them and they'll have a harvest. So, Father, help us today as believers to learn from these great truths to keep us from losing heart and getting discouraged. So bless now, minister to hearts, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.